You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded whores. Hi, tippers. Welcome back to 50 Plus a Tip. I'm your host, Danica. And Riley. We're going to try tippers. We're going to see how that lands. See how it tastes. How it oh. feels in our mouth. Oh, no. And then she ruined it. Uh, uh, just so, the tippers. Just the tippers. Oh, oh no. No, that makes me think of men. That's the last thing I want. Uh, so how was your Halloween? Um, it was good. We did some fun things. We got a little spooky. Um, yeah. Where do we want to start? Well, we went to Man Farms yes. in, in the Valley, and they had three attractions this year, mm-hmm. which was super fun. They had the Haunted Corn Maze, which they had last year as well, and then they had the Pitch Black, where people could touch you, and then the Twisted Pagan Forest. Yes. So although like the prices did go up this year, I think it totally made up for it to have like the extra attractions. From what I remember, the prices were cheaper than... The previous year, like during COVID 2020, but more expensive than obviously like 2019. Because I've gone three years in a row now. Pretty much keeping their lights on. Honestly. <laughs> it's my annual, annual spooky It's very fun. Um, that, yeah, that was super fun. We went with a group of people and um, they were a little insulting at times. Oh my God. They were some ruthless 16 year olds. <laughs> they were like between the ages of like, I'd say like, yeah, 12 to 18 is, like, the average, I think, yeah. person working there. And, yeah, they, like, throw insults. And yeah. some of them landed a little too well. <laughs> no, it was, it was really fun. They uh, they definitely have some zingers. Yeah, um, which was your favorite out of the three? That was my favorite insult. Oh, no. Yeah, which was your favorite insult? What was my favorite What's of the three? What's your favorite burn? Um, I think the haunted... No. Yeah, the haunted corn maze. I think it was longer. Just it was longer. Yeah, the pitch black one was fun because they could touch you. They'll like, grab your hand, like pull you through. Um, one was like stroking my head at one point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think just the haunted corn maze because like the amount of time you get to like kind of like fully like yeah. immerse yourself in it. So we went. In, uh, we went as a group of eight, and the first one that we did was the forest, and we went like through as a group of eight. And so I think that I would have really enjoyed that one had we split it up into four and four, which we did for the other two. Because obviously if you're going as a big group, you uh, you see the people like two ahead of you get the scares. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely, yeah, going in smaller groups definitely mm-hmm. um, helps. Helps you get more of the scare. That was fun. And then I did some pumpkin carvings, watched Hocus Pocus with a family, which we do every year. I can quote every fucking word of that movie. <laughs> And I do. <laughs> no, I've only ever seen it once. What? Yeah. And my first time was like last year. <gasps> we can start watching with us. I love that movie. It's so good. Um, apparently, Sarah Jessica Parker forgot she was in it. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite cr- crazy. <laughs> um, I've heard the same thing about um, Anna Kendrick forgot she was in Twilight. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I even forgot she was in Twilight. Yeah. But yeah she's, like about, she's like her friend or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you and I went and did the the LARPing, so live yeah. action role play uh, through Empty Chest, and it was fucking wild. So you go, and it's beside a cemetery, which is questionable. Okay, so <laughs> we gotta set the scene. So first of all, you found it on the internet, um, and the dark it's, web, yeah, yeah, it's kind of set up like 
it's a, a live D&D, like as you said, LARPing, like um, you, it's maybe a video game type, like live thing. Um, and so we're really pumped about it. It's just us two going and we pull up to an address and it looks like an abandoned house. Like um, a start of every horror movie. Yeah, like a Google Maps did me did me dirty. And so we end up finding it and then the next address that we get to is literally a cemetery and it's pitch black. And we're sitting there like, I don't know if this is right. <laughs> kind of disrespectful to run across a cemetery. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess there was like a big paintballing place right Next beside the yeah. cemetery. Probably some overlap, let's be honest. But yeah, so then you go and you go in your group, which is a group of two because our friends fucking bailed on us. Yeah. And up to six, I think it is. Yeah, you can do up to six. It's, um, yeah, they advise you to have more people because it's definitely harder. It was just two. Mm-hmm. And you get a bow and an arrow and you go into the forest, and there's it's like quite a dense forest too. And there's kind of like these lanterns on the ground, which kind of guide you on where to walk. And you yeah. like, it's so weird. It's pitch black, right? Like it's so hard to see. We went at like nine thirty at night. Yeah. It's kind of like all just like the sounds of the wild, and then all of a sudden you hear like someone like whistling, and we were like, "You what hear the that fuck? too?" Right? <laughs> like I was like, "Yeah, you hear that, right?" And then they just like come at you they just like run at you and you're like trying to shoot them it's so crazy it was so intense and they're just like surrounding you it's so traumatic and you're wearing like this belt with these three like tags on them they can get pulled off and those are like your life's so the people try and, like, kind of grab mm-hmm. your life's. Um, it was very yeah. dramatic. And there's, like, three stages, and the monsters at each stage get harder and harder to defeat. And uh, you you also come across chests, which you have to solve, like, riddles or, or things to get into the chest. And then in the chests are more arrows, which obviously have those, like, foam ball... Um, like protectors, kind exactly. Of. So like and I've actually, actually seen the same sort of thing. You play like bow and arrow dodgeball. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, um, but it's like that sort of thing. And then yeah, there's more lives and more arrows. Um, and honestly, we sucked at it. We were really bad. Um, <laughs> we could not for life of us figure out the chest stuff. They kept having to like yell hints to us because we yeah. were bad. And then I fell in a prickle bush. <laughs> <laughs> and then I fell and face planted over a log. <laughs> <laughs> right near the end. Could not keep you on your feet. Oh, my God. And, like, you know what's funny is, like, we were... They had to break character to, like, so many help times. you up. <laughs> they had to break character so many times for us. It was so... It definitely was, like, the first part was hella scary. Like, you and I are both, like, holy fuck, I feel nauseous. Yeah. Because, like, your adrenaline's just going. And then the second part was just very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a lot of prickles in my ass. <laughs> And then I tried to run at the end and like... Oh my God, you had your like bow and... Okay, so we were done. Okay, we had passed the third monster. You didn't get that memo that I we were done. I did not get done. the memo that the game was done. Sh- shuffle us out because the group behind us was, was so close. And then you... So you have like literally your bow and arrow like ready and you like run to catch up to me. And this is long and all I... I just turn around and all I see is you like fly through the air. Bow and arrow ready. And just like face flat into the ground, <laughs> dude. So hard. I was because I was holding my bow and arrow. I couldn't really like cushion my fall. I landed face face first. One of the monsters was like, "Oh my god!" And like came up and asked you want picked me up. <laughs> oh my god. So you know all those quizzes of like who would last. Yeah. I don't think either of us would, but. It was super, super fun. I would a thousand percent go again. I definitely think with a bigger team, so we could like 
really like actually try to win. I mean, me and you definitely had a hell of a lot of fun, oh and we were God, like yeah, cry laughing the whole time. Uh, do not regret that. It was definitely like a fun venture, but I think for it to be like the scary, like successful mm-hmm. attempt that it's supposed to be, I think we would need more people. Definitely, there's just so many like monsters coming at you, like you just. And, like, reloading your arrow and stuff, like, takes time. Like, I don't know how anyone would reload the arrow, but I guess if you have more people, they're shooting while you're reloading. Exactly, yeah. Right. Or, like, and, and even the chest, like, you're still having to defend yourself at the chest. Yeah. So, like, there's only one person trying to look at this riddle or look around, and the other person's, like, bow and arrow taut, like, trying to, like... And there's people, like, whistling at you. It was, honestly, like, it really... It got me anxious. Like, the first third of it yeah. was very, like spooky yeah it was really really fun it was a, a definitely a good way to to spend some halloween time and then i've also been busy reading um i read the lola divina set her second book which we're going to go into today but i also read the i hate men book um it is a book apparently that they, they tried to ban in france um it's by i'm going to say it in like the Canadian way to say it, I guess, like not French. Uh, Pauline, and then you get like Harmange is like how it's spelt. It's not actually pronounced that way, but it's, um, it was really, really good. The kind of the write up of it, it says that women, especially feminists and lesbians, have long been accused of hating men. Our instinct is to deny it at all costs. After all, women have been burnt at the stake for admitting to less. But what if mistrusting men, disliking men, and yes, maybe even hating men, is in fact a useful response to sexism? What if such a, such a response offers a way out of oppression, a means of resistance? What if it even offers a path to joy, solidarity, and sisterhood? In this sparkling essay, as mischievous and provocative as it is urgent and serious, this interrogates modern attitudes to feminism and makes a rallying cry for women to find a greater love for each other and themselves. And I believe you checked it out as well didn't you I'm about halfway through it yeah so I honestly found it like extremely therapeutic it's only about an hour 15 long yeah um so it's definitely like an easy car ride listen if you have a place to go yeah it's available on audible yeah available on audible as well so I threw it on audible and I found it yeah like a very almost like a therapy session because a lot of her stances on things and her outlooks were extremely similar to my experience and and my thoughts as Mm -hmm. well and yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend checking out that book. It's called I Hate Men. And yeah, I I think men and women and whatever presenting person you are should read it because there's a lot of good takeaways from it. Yeah, I think if uh, from what I've gathered, gathered in like the first half of the book, it's very much a response to like the not all men. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of discourse being like, ugh, I hate men. Or, like, men are this, men are that. And the response is, like, um, well, not all men or I'm not like that. It's, like, to stand up and be, like, actually, I hate all men. Yeah. And it's just sort of this, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, if we all band together and, like, show men that their behavior is not good enough, maybe that will force change. Yeah. And she's married to a man, and she goes on about how, you know, I love my partner, but dot, 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 like, we need to stop applauding men for doing literally the bare minimum in life and thinking they're godsends, whereas women need to be extremely successful and amazing in every area of their life, and we still are like, yeah, okay, good job, I guess, right? Like, she gives example of, like, we need to stop applauding men for, in quotes, babysitting their own fucking kids. Mm-hmm. And she used an example of she 
is with her partner and she brings him a book about how to communicate more successfully because she knows that in their arguments they weren't like they're kind of missing the mark. Yeah. And you know, he read it or whatever and I guess friends of hers be like, oh, that's so awesome that he, like, reads the books you recommend. And she's like, no, what should be happening is that he also notices that we could use better information to, like, better our relationships. And he goes out and gets a book as well. Yeah. Not, like, me doing all the emotional labor in a relationship. And she talks about how women are constantly expected to do all the emotional labor for relationships with men to be successful. And I think it's a really, really fascinating book. I really think it hit, like, hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I think if you have... Any kind of issue with the patriarchy, which you fucking should, you'll like the book. <laughs> but yeah. Other things happening lately. I have been getting a lot of compliments on my skin, which yeah, you said today good. also. Thank you. Um, I contribute that to microneedling. I've been doing that every five weeks. I'm going to keep on doing that. And I feel like that's really been helping with my skin appearance. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the downtime and what's the price range? Yeah, so microneedling, the price range like is everywhere. There's places I can do for two hundred up to like six hundred, and just like anything in yeah. like cosmetics, um, people just kind of mark mark it up, right? And the downtime, it really depends on your skin. Sometimes you obviously as soon as you leave, your face is kind of like red and like a little bit puffy, mm-hmm. and then the second or the the first day after, or second day after, you might have like purging, which yeah. makes your skin look like a, like a bunch of whiteheads, which is pretty fucking gross. Um, I purged the first time I got microneedling, barely, I mean, the second time, which was nice. And then I usually just assume that I'll take probably, like, three days for my skin to, like, not look like a hot mess. And then there's, like, a little bit of dry skin after yeah. that for, like, another week, probably. Okay. But, then, yeah, I'd say, like, the actual downtime is really only, like, two, three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, no, I've been really liking that. And then I also was, yeah, like... I think I'm going to start, too. Microneedle? Yeah. Yeah. Does it, it just changes the complexion of your skin or does it make it tighter or? Yeah, it's supposed to promote collagen as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was saying to her, you know, I used to do IPL and Fraxel lasering and that. She's like, those are great too. Like microneedling is up there as well. Like it's, it's she said it's kind of like a, um, like the holy grail. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's the person doing it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Take it, take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. But I've, I've been like, I'm getting like, I've liked the results of it. I've been having a lot of compliments. So I plan to keep doing it. Um, and it's not like it's every week. It's every five weeks. Um, mm. It doesn't cost a whole lot, in, in my opinion. I mean, that's always relative. Uh, I also was like, you know what? I need to get my ass working out again because I miss running. So on Halloween, I was like, it's my favorite time of year. I should also do something I used to absolutely love. And I went for a run. And I went for like an, an over an hour and 30-minute run. And I was like, woo, like I am not in the shape I used to be <laughs> Like, my kilometer per minute um, was not near what I used to be when I used to run a lot. That's okay. I dragged my poor dad along. (laughs) (laughs) And he actually kept up pretty well, which, I mean, maybe that's a bad sign for me because he's, you know, double my age. But (laughs) (laughs) But no, it was really nice. It was good. Nice way to spend time together. We used to run all the time together, so that's like a nice little throwback. But my God, for like the next three days, my every time I went like to move my legs, Mm -hmm. I was like, ow, 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 (laughs) ow. Like, the whole time. So, that's a sign I need to get my ass running more, which I'll start dragging you with me, hopefully. I can't run. That's well, going to be a maybe no you can bike beside me. Oh, I'll bike you. Bike? Oh, bike me. Okay. <laughs> Just drag me behind. <laughs> um, no, I have never been a good runner. I've never enjoyed running. Like, I would give it 
three minutes of running and I have lower back pain. And that's because I'm basically built wrong. Like I, I have orthopedic insoles for my shoes because I'm 90 years old, <laughs> but running is just not it for my body. Also, some people just generally don't like running. Like I truly enjoy running. Like running and swimming are two things I truly enjoy doing with my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people just hate, don't like it. For me, I find it very therapeutic. Because I throw in like some good music or I throw in an audible book or a podcast and then I'm just like in my own world. Um, for me, I could walk for hours. Like I love a good, like fast paced walk or hike, but as soon as it it starts getting that impact on my lower back and hips, mm. it's just not enjoyable for me anymore. I do find that trail running is a little easier on my body. Yeah. It's a little more cushion than cement for sure. Yeah. So that's pretty much what I've been keeping busy doing. And you ventured into the gym. Yeah. I don't know. There's like pros or something. It sounds (laughs) like it's coming from like literally inside your fireplace. It actually kind of does. I think it's the vent, though. So, yeah, there's, like, a vent on the in top of the fireplace that I guess, I mean, obviously goes out to the roof, but it literally <laughs> sounds like there's a crow in your Watch fireplace. Watch there be a crow fall down my fireplace. <laughs> Spooky season's over, okay? <laughs> Move on. Um, yeah, so we signed up to a yoga gym, mm-hmm. um, and so I did my first yoga session on the 1st of November. My partner was going for a bike ride. I was still in bed. It was, like, 11 a.m., um, and I looked at the app and there were spaces and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to make the most of like the first set a good precedent, um, and go for a yoga class. And I really enjoyed it. Like the, the leader, <laughs> the cult leader, the instructor, instructor thank you. <laughs> the cult leader, oh, uh, the instructor was you really went to. good. I realized how much I had been like neglecting my stretching mm. and honestly, like the next day my thighs and my butt was like actually pretty sore, which is again, probably not a very good sign, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing some more of that. I just feel like with the school, with school, with dancing, with just like being in a seated position for so much, like I'm not commuting anymore. So I'm not like walking as much. Um, I just feel like I started really neglecting my body and stretching and I'm just so unmotivated to do it myself. So yeah, yeah I'm really excited. Um, and then I got my eyebrows microbladed like the next day. So I have to take five days off of exercise, but I'll be back after that. <laughs> Yeah, I like. I'm very much looking forward to getting back into yoga because, mm-hmm. um, although like I never, like I am lucky in the sense where I was born flexible. I've never lost my flexibility, but I, I generally enjoy stretching. Um, I think people just enjoy things they're good at, right? So when you're, yeah. like, naturally flexible, you're like, oh, let me just hop into the splits and, like... Um, I've never been flexible. I've had so many hip and back problems since I was, like, seven, again, because I'm 90. <laughs> um, that, like, whenever I got into the... Like, you, I trained up to, to the splits mm. and finally got it, and then, like, I would fuck up my knees or fuck up my back and fuck yeah. up my hips. Um, I was on crutches so much as a child. And then, and then by the time I, like, healed enough, I would have lost my splits. So yeah. I've, like, never been able to do them, really, um, even though I've been dancing my entire life. So I don't know. I'm just, like, it's not meant to be here we you. go again, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited for us to get back to the gym once your eyebrows can handle it. I know. <laughs> okay, other random musings before we get into the book review. Just, like, a PSA. Don't be fucking rude in my Instagram post comments, just because you're too fucking stupid to see the tagged artist. Okay? 
it it literally it's very hard for me to be nice to dumb cunts who let's take it back. <laughs> no, it's so annoying. The amount of times someone will be like, "You should tag the the original artist, artist yeah. the original poster," and like they're already tagged in it, and then I have to like email or message them and be like, "Hey, actually," and like send them a photo of it. I'm like, if you see this emblem in the left corner and you click on the post, it will actually prompt you with the original tag. Like, sorry, you're fucking dumb. Don't come at me with your fucking hostility because I will show you the way out. And I often, like, give those people one chance and then if they're rude again, like we had recently, this girl and her friend were like, you didn't tag the original post. And someone was like, yeah, I thought that was fucking weird too. So then I politely messaged them was like, hey, like, I'll show you a walkthrough of how to find the original poster because they're always tagged if I know who they are. Um, and then she's like, not, not even like, oh, thanks, I didn't see that. Or like, oh, okay, good. She was like, I wasn't the only one who didn't see it. It's like, yes, there are other stupid people in the world, unfortunately, fully aware of that. Uh, so don't be that fucking idiot. Um, you look stupid, and now you're publicly showing how stupid you are. So for your own sake, don't fucking do that. Okay. <laughs> PSA concluded. <laughs> But I will always try to tag the original poster. If they're not tagged and you do know who the original poster is, by all means, feel free to DM me and and say, like, oh, this is the original poster on this post, and I will very happily tag them. Anyone that knows me know I have no intention of ever taking credit for someone else's work, so I always try to find the original poster. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and one last thing before we get into our work updates, which we saw to do. This is going to be a long episode, like always. But um, we had this message come in, and I thought it was actually a really cool concept, so I'm just going to share it. So it goes. So, last night I was hanging out with you and Riley in my dream. Yay. Oh my god, hey. (laughs) Hey, it's dream us. Yay, except, barf emoji, who wants to hear about someone else's dreams? Well, I had a show idea. Firstly, Danica wasn't really Danica because she wasn't cheeky and didn't make any cutting remarks. (laughs) But my show idea in the dream was a Where Are They Now episode of a series where you check in with some of the guests from earlier episodes. Oh, that's a fun idea. Yeah. I really like the idea. I think that's definitely something we could do maybe even like for season five, like the first episode maybe we could, because then that gives us some time to collect Mm -hmm. on Where Are They Nows. But thank you for writing that in because that's a super cool concept. If you guys have episode ideas like that or specific people you want us to have on the show again definitely message us email 50 plus tip at gmail.com or dm on instagram 50 plus a tip um Let but yeah us know what so, you want to know okay uh <laughs> but it's always cool I'm to hear so unsupported here <laughs> somebody somebody come pick me up <laughs> mom come get me <laughs> um no but it's always fun to hear like you're in someone's dreams like and I'm always, really glad that she honestly I'm I do appreciate that like you didn't really go into what the dream was because no one understands your dreams like your dreams don't make any sense I want to know what you're doing in the dream maybe it was a sexy dream <laughs> okay let us know but I love how she was like and this is someone we don't know I've never met this person I've never, never seen her in my life <laughs> but it's just funny how people because of the podcast have this image of us even though we've, like, never actually met them, never crossed paths, but they have this, like, idea of, like, how we look, how we act, and to the point where she was, like, Danica really wasn't Danica because she wasn't cheeky and didn't make any cutting remarks. (laughs) I would love to see, like, if someone had never 
like seen us in any of the promo or anything, I would love to like have them draw what they think we look like. Oh my god, that'd been so good if we were like <laughs> physically anonymous. Yeah. On... Oh, that would be wild. Okay, if you have never, d- don't look at it. Don't look at it. <laughs> don't, don't look at it right now. But if you don't follow the Instagram page, uh, maybe send us in a drawing of like what you think we look like. Mm-hmm. And if it's if you're listening on like one of the podcast servers that doesn't have the photo come up with the podcast um because oh, yeah, true. yeah but You're i think like now. i think uh apple podcast doesn't put like the weekly photo up mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. like our the lag one so if you guys don't actually know what we look like yes 100 percent. please like Either if you're artistically inclined, draw a picture, or if you can, like, find a person you think resembles what we look like, yeah. if that's easier for you, send those in and let us know what you send think. Send us a little dream board. Vision yeah. Board. <laughs> Vision board of us. <laughs> God, so vain. Yeah. <laughs> okay, work updates. I had one of my favorite things happen at work a little while back. This guy paid me and one of my girlfriends to just tell him how pathetic and disgusting he was. (laughs) And that really is when I'm, like, in my element. I am thriving. (laughs) So, yeah. a lot of anger, a lot of tension. I'm, like, calling him different names. He's like, that's not my name. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I mean. uh." (laughs) But, no, it it was very enjoyable. And it's also very rewarding like we've said before, to provide safe spaces for people to explore things sexually and then also to be able to reassure them afterwards. Like, afterwards, he's like, am I weird? Like, am I the only person that does this? And I'm like, not at all. Like, this is very, Mm -hmm. very common. Humiliation fetishes are very common and you're not weird. And, like, thank you for letting us explore that with you. And, like, being that, like, safe, comforting source for someone in a sexual, like, um, element of something they're embarrassed of. I think it's very, very rewarding. So that was nice. Plus, he was very generous. So that's always nice, too. Yeah. Also, the thing, the reason I love that kind of situation is that, like, the, how do I explain it? You don't have to give much sexual energy mm-hmm. in, like, I know that sounds funny, but, like, from my end, I don't have to give much sexual energy. Like, it's not like a lap dance where you're having to, like, be sensual or yeah. like flirtatious you get to literally just stand there and be like you fucking suck <laughs> so that's you kind of smell weird <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but yeah um so yeah i found that really enjoyable yeah any work updates oh. on your end honestly no <laughs> and that's, that's that all I <laughs> okay so our review of lola divino's second book it's called sex work and money and if you guys remember, Lola Davina wrote the book Thriving in Sex Work, which is honestly one of the best sex work-related books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. I think you really loved it as well. And we both kind of said the way, I believe, I, you both, we both listened to it on Audible, yep. I believe. And I found the way she spoke and the things she said was very therapeutic as well. And I really, really enjoyed that book. I highly recommend it to anyone in the sex work industry or curious about the sex work industry. But Riley messaged me and let me know that a new Lola Davina book was coming out, and this one was more focused on the um, correlation between sex work and money and, and that relationship. So we yeah. both gave that a read. And throughout the book, there were activities to do, um, and I think we're going to do a couple of those on the podcast with you guys. But what was your overall takeaway of the book? Did you like it? What did you think of it? 
Um, so yeah, she broke it into two, um, two parts. One was the emotional life of sex work money. And the part two was uh, practical sex work money advice. So number one kind of explored the relationship between sex work, sex work money, how it feels different when you earn money through sex work than it does like earning money through anything else. Um, how, you know, anything like that kind of makes you feel. I really loved this portion of the book. I think that, um, you know, I've been really interested in personal finances um, for a while and I've been really trying to educate myself on investing and everything like that. Um, you know, we do live in a very capitalist world and so to survive, you do have to kind of use the tools that is uh, that are around you. But I... I have solemnly heard, even through like sex worker blogs that I've read, um, talk about the emotional attachment or the emotional um, feelings surrounding this specific type of money. And I think that was really validating to hear. And it put into uh, words a lot of the things that I've been feeling. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you and I touched on it a little bit when we were talking about it in our private life as well that there is this kind of emotional charge to money that is gained through sex work, I think. And I think that's a very common feeling for a lot of individuals who are in the sex industry. Um, and I think the power or the you know value we put on money is directly correlated to how we obtain the money. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, you hear things that are people that are get everything handed to them don't understand the value of work, right? Like, so when you work hard for a financial compensation um, or do something that is emotionally or mentally um, taxing, you put or vulnerable more... vulnerable too. Yeah, yeah, or crossing boundaries especially or anything like that. Like, I think there's definitely more of a weight to that type of money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something a lot of us can relate to. I definitely nodded along when she talked on that. Um, I definitely preferred her first book. Um, I found that this book, the kind of the key takeaways of the financial advice wasn't really anything new to me. Like they're pretty basic, you know, save this percent of your income for a rainy day, you know, um, stuff like that. But yeah, although like I will, I will say like a lot of it was stuff that I knew or, you know, like have have educated myself on but I think that Lola Davina does a really good job of making it accessible to someone who has never been able to save like a dime in their life and she talks about you know like the emotions of like why you need to save and like Mm -hmm. what that can do for your future self and she talks very candidly about her past mistakes in um in you know, money racking up her her credit card and stuff. So although I think that the things are really basic, her her voice comes from a space of this has never been taught to you. And because we're sex workers, um, and that includes you know people not re- like you know crossing that line of what is legal and not legal, especially in the states with sister and foster. Um, it kind of talks about how you can find resources and how you can budget and how you can do x y and z and talks about you know it kind of calms your nerves of like um how the irs specifically because she's talking about america doesn't care how you make the money just that you make that you pay your taxes and so i think she does a really good job of 
of educating sex workers who have perhaps never had um, anyone tell that tell them this or or feel too scared to look for professional advice so yes I think that some of it especially if you have any type of knowledge on budgeting or fa- finance is a little um, you know beginner level elementary yeah yeah but I think that she does an incredible job and I would uh, advise anyone even if you do know a lot about that stuff just because she talks about it from such a sex worker specific place yeah yeah so we're going to go over a couple of the activities. I think there's 16 in total. Mm-hmm. So we're obviously not going to go through all of them. We picked out a few that we thought would be good to do on the podcast with you. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them are very much like you, a very personal mm-hmm. um, and very much like a, you need to think about these things and then write down what that means to you. Um, so I'm just going to go through some of the exercises and then we can talk about aspects that we feel comfortable sharing mm-hmm. on the podcast. So the first one is the enoughness exercise. And I'm just going to skip to the part where the exercise starts, but she does a really beautiful job of introducing, setting up the space for you to do this exercise in a really um, loving way for yourself. I'm going to skip that and just get to the nitty gritty. She also throughout the book does a lot of um, in real life experiences, either from herself or other sex workers that have provided um, their own stories. And and those were nice to hear as well. Mm -hmm. Take a few deep breaths, close your eyes for a few minutes and ask yourself, what does enoughness mean to you? Then grab a piece of paper and a pen and write out your answers to these questions. How would you define enoughness? Is enoughness something that you ever experienced as a child, as an adult? Is enoughness a regular feeling in your life or is it fleeting? How much money do you need to be happy? Do you have a target amount in mind? Do you have a plan to earn it? Is sex work part of this plan or a detour? Does your enough money belong all to you or is it shared? Do you use it to support someone? Are you waiting to find are you waiting for someone to die in order to claim it? At times, we understand just how sustained or alone we really are in this world through money, even more so than love. Now it's time to contemplate the money you earn from sex work. Grab a new piece of paper and write out any thoughts or feelings you have while answering these questions. Do you feel fairly compensated for your typical shoot, shift, or call? Do you have enough work to support you? Do you believe you will have enough work in the future? If the answer to any of these questions is no, how does that make you feel? Do you sometimes think you shouldn't get paid for what you do? Do you ever feel like you charge too much? Do you believe you could earn more if you were different in some way? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, how does that make you feel? So those are, those are kind of the first couple of questions about enoughness. Do you have any thoughts or want to answer any of those? Yeah, let's go up and let's tackle some of them. So how would you define enoughness? Um, I think for me, enoughness, what I should see it as, I think, is like having all your needs met. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of like your basic idea of enoughness. For me, enoughness, like I don't know if I really have a definition. I'm always kind of in a place of wanting but and let me that's I think that's the pros and cons to that kind of mentality of like always striving for more um what about yourself how would you define enoughness um 
I mean, I would disagree in saying that like having all your needs met is not really enough. I think that is like the bare minimum, you know, for me, enoughness is, is having the freedom to do anything that I want to do within reason. Mm. So like, if I really want to go home to New Zealand, like being able to afford that with like, not too many subsidies in elsewhere, you know, like I don't expect to like just be able to afford whatever I want whenever I want because I don't think that as you said that would like push me to do more and I I like that um motivation I think but yeah definitely like being able to have the freedoms to do the things that I want to or need to um within reason I think another good question too is how much money do you need to be happy and do you have a target amount in mind Um, I think for me, I want to be able to like enough money to be able to maintain my lifestyle and work when I want to. And, you know, the job that I want to, no matter the salary. So for example, you know, I'm going through school to, um, become a statistician. Um, so I want to get to the point where I can choose a job in that realm, whether it pays me. $20,000 or $200,000 like it doesn't matter because I have like I have all my financial needs met regardless of it and Mm. I can just like do the work that I want to Mm -hmm. yeah how about yourself yeah I mean I completely agree with you working because I want to not because I have to I think is a beautiful place to be um how much money do I need to be happy I'm happy with the amount I have now mm-hmm. um, but I think it's just like the person I am where like I always want more like I yeah. think even if I you know one day have two billion dollars I'll still want three billion dollars mm-hmm. I'll still want four billion dollars like I think but do you want that money because you feel like you need it to be happy or do you want that money because you get satisfaction and like self-esteem from earning it? Uh, not self-esteem. I'm just like, I'm such a goal person mm-hmm. and like, I genuinely like, I almost look at it as like a game of like, get to the next level, get to the right. next level. Like I find that enjoyable. Yeah. So it's like you're, you, you want it for your ambition, not yeah. because you feel like you want yeah. necessarily that Yeah. Dollar. So like what I was saying was like, I'm happy with what I have already. Yeah. So like it, my, my happiness isn't like, I'm still reaching for the happiness. It's yeah. just more so at this point now it's like, let's make more. Let's make more. Yeah. Like, so I don't know if I can really answer that question. How much money do you need to be happy? Like I'm happy. The money isn't necessarily like the, the deciding factor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part, yeah, do I have target amount? No, just always more than the person beside me. <laughs> just kidding. Is sex work part of this plan or a detour for, like, reaching your enoughness? I feel like me and you have talked before where sex work is the, the stepping stone to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of people's reasoning for why they operate in sex work is because it's it really does allow you to make a good amount of money and the flexibility schedule to allow you to do your other goals in life. Mm -hmm. So especially for like school wise, I know a lot of my girlfriends and myself included, the reason why they started stripping in that was because it allowed us to pay off school and be able to study whenever we wanted to and take off days for exams and to do all that. So, um, I think it's definitely was part of the plan of like helping me move 
forward with other yeah, things. I think so too. There was another question on the the last second part there. Um, do you sometimes think you shouldn't get paid for what you do? And do you ever feel like you charged too much? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, she and Lola Davina goes into this sort of like the guilt that's associated with sex work as well and, and how that kind of makes you feel around that money. So those are kind of like... It's so know. funny. Like I just do not relate to that because I... I think if anyone should feel guilty, it's the men that get anything from women for free. You mm-hmm. should feel guilty that you're not paying for every tiny amount of access you have to women. Yeah. <laughs> I think we do have to preface and, like, once again say, like, both of us work from a place of... Extreme privilege, Extreme yeah. privilege in the sense that, like, we can tell anyone to fuck off for mm-hmm. any amount of dollar mm-hmm. and it wouldn't matter. And I think, you know, like, again, she does a really good job of... Um, trying to reach a, a big target audience, you know, from those who do uh, survival sex work to those who, you know, are in a privileged pl- place. And, like, you know, yeah, of course we can't relate to it because I guess we've never we've never had to experience that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So this one is called the earliest money memory exercise. So... Write your answers down. We'll revisit them later. First things first, let's set the stage. About how old were you? Where were you? And who was nearby? What's the most memorable thing about this moment? Was it something that happened or something that was said? What messages did you learn about money from this event? Were they good or bad? How did this moment make you feel? Was it mostly a positive experience, mostly negative, or a jumbled mix? So this is t- talking about like what is when you think about money, what is the very first or earliest money uh, memory that you can think of? Well, I'm probably honestly the worst person to ask because my memory is shit. <laughs> but I just remember that. Okay, first off, we did not get um, an allowance when we were younger. Like this is not a fucking chance. Like we did things we had to, not because our parents mm-hmm. were rewarded us with money, um, but. I just have this weird memory about, like, on your birthday, whatever bank we were with would, like, give you a little, like, coin or something. I don't remember. Something like that. And I remember thinking, like, I love collecting. Like, I love, like, adding up money. I love, Mm -hmm. like, gaining money, gaining interest. And I think I had, like, money in a small, like, a small amount of money bank account. And, like, my mom would show me the interest it was gaining. And I think maybe that's why I look at money as, like, this game of, like, get more, get more, get more. Yeah. Um... And then I also, like, I just remember, like, when I was younger, that kind of be my focus of, like, I want to constantly be growing my money. And I think, yeah. I think my mom was, like, very mm-hmm. strict with, like, money and saving and, and things like that. How about yourself? Yeah. I, um, I... I think, like, I got pocket money as a kid. And when I say pocket money, we got, like, a dollar, Mm. A week. No, I don't know. Even though, like, two weeks or something. Like, Mm. it was such a small amount. But, like, no matter how small it was, we had to save half. Mm. And then we could spend half. So, like, Mm. I had... I got 50 cents. You know, like, that was my pocket money. Um, But it did teach me, really, the value of saving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I got older all that money had accumulated and that's what I used to travel around Europe. Like, 
And so, yeah, it was, uh, I definitely had, um, good experiences around money in terms of like needing to save. And then, and then like once every, I don't know, two times a year or something, we would open up the piggy bank cause we had obviously a physical piggy bank mm-hmm. and would count all our 50 cents and then would like take it to the bank and that would go on our bank account. And so mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, very much a saving mentality, but definitely positive experiences around that as well. Mm-hmm. I think like your parents seem to tell you the same way mine was, was like put it in the bank, yes. right? At a young age, um, which was very much like my like experience too, was like the bank was the answer. And I wish I had learned more about like, hey, we could put this in a stock. Um, I didn't know about like terms and bonds and stuff. My yeah. mom, I do remember that when I was younger, my mom would put like my money in like a term and then it would have more interest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My mom still does that with my money in the bank actually. But you have to understand like when our parents were younger and like learning how money grows and stuff, you couldn't do it yourself. You literally had to give your money to like our Wall Street person or yeah. an investor. And oh, they yeah. would tell you. It's definitely different times now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like now it's so accessible for everybody like you can invest as little as five dollars yeah like it's it's really truly um possible for anyone to start investing and i would urge all of like all of the listeners to um you know at least start learning about it because as i said we live in a capitalist society and although it feels like you know i mean we are we're buying into capitalism but it's really a great tool to close the wealth gap and to like reach your money goals is to invest. Obviously do your own research. Um, but definitely there's so many good podcasts out there. Yeah. And even just shows you capitalism. The fact that when I said the fineness of enoughness, the definition of enoughness, I said having your needs met. And then you were like, that's just the basic, you know, that's, with this, if we didn't live in capital society, that would be enoughness. It's enough yeah. that you have all your needs met, right? But for us living in a capitalist society, enoughness is my needs met. Plus, I want the option to do what I want to do within within reason. For sure, absolutely. But like, I mean, I think any, everybody is entitled to like clothes, food, shelter, like everything like that. As you said, well, you if we be, didn't, for sure. yeah. yeah. Um, I also think that you know I'm entitled to like go home to New Zealand if my mom's sick. You yeah. Know? So yeah, we definitely should be able to. Yeah. Especially with what we do for work. We should have (laughs) (laughs) Selling Uh, our souls. (laughs) Expanding outwards on that first memory, what are some of the other money lessons you can remember from an early life growing up? Um, So my grandma helped pay for my first bit of university because she literally, from like the day I was born, would collect um, pop bottles and stuff on the streets. Mm-hmm. Like not like she would like not on the streets. She would like walk around her like neighborhood, walk to the park and stuff, and constantly pick up um, cans, and then would constantly put them in and then put them in a bank account for me and my sister. Um, it gave me such like appreciation, obviously, for like the money that went to my university, which made me take my university more seriously. But I also think it was. Um, I think it made me realize there was, like, alternative ways. And even if you, like, my grandma really came from nothing. Mm-hmm. But even if you came from nothing, you could build up your own money. And, like, I thought that, I think I really just had that appreciation from, like, watching her do that. Yeah. Um, and also, I think the, one of the reasons why I use my money to give back to my family is because that was such, you just, I just felt so much love for my grandma for, like, her working for that for me. So I think, like, I think that really, like, 
kind of molded my view of money and what I could do for the people I love. Mm-hmm. But how about yourself? Um, yeah, I think, uh, so as I said, like my mom would give us pocket money, um, every, I don't, I don't even remember. It must've been like every two weeks or something like that. Um, but then, I mean, my parents were divorced, so I would go stay at my dad's every second weekend. And if we wanted pocket money, we worked for it. Like Mm -hmm. I, I cleaned cars, I cleaned windows. Like at the end I was, uh, I mean, it was a pretty good wage. Like I, my dad would give me like 50 bucks, but I (laughs) I would spend three hours cleaning like his entire house. And so like he was saving money on a cleaner and I was getting pocket money, but it was very much that mentality of, Oh, would you like extra money for this? Great. You can do an extra chore for that. Yeah. Yeah. You can work for it. Yeah. And so it, it definitely gave me this like good work ethic of like, no, if I want more, then I work more or I work different or I do something else. And I think that's, um, you know, your point is really important as well with like your grandmother finding alternate ways to make money is like very much this mentality that we have now of like, you find a, you find a side hustle or you get creative. Like most of the people that are extremely wealthy now is because they got creative. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, okay, fifty dollars for three hours is great hourly wage. It was great. <laughs> that was what Absolutely. I was getting paid. That was more than I was getting paid as a paralegal when I first yeah. started. <laughs> I mean that's New Zealand dollars, so a little less. A little less in here. But yeah, no, it was good. Damn. But like Papa. you know, like he was hard <laughs> on me. He was hard on me for it too. Like if he didn't like how the mirrors were clean, he'd like make me do them again. No, but it was but you good. were getting like it, it, a dollar. I even. do really appreciate it. Like, first of all, um, I didn't work until I was out of high school. Um, but so like that was like everything I wanted. And then of course, like my parents, I mean, my mom less so, but like, you know, if I wanted to do something or I wanted something, like I bought it myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I started working when I was 15. Yeah. I mean, I did like babysit. Oh my God. I had a paper route through high school for, through like intermediate or middle school or something. And then I babysat a lot. I just didn't have like a steady job. Mm, Yeah. No, I worked at, um, a fast food place Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also worked at like, and the gas, the gas station was attached to it. So I had to like clean gas pumps and like mop floors and clean like gas station toilets. Okay. Look how far we've come. (laughs) Really? (laughs) All right, I am do a couple more questions just because like this topic is also quite heavy. I know that like talking about money is pretty uncomfortable. I mean, less so for sex workers, but like it is a pretty like heavy topic. So I think I'm going to finish the questions on this like section and then uh, we can move on to some am I the assholes? Woo. So did your family teach you certain money savings or slogans? So for example, the money is root of all evil. A penny saved is a penny earned. Money doesn't go on trees. Waste not, want not. Uh, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Or those who do not work, do not eat. Beggars can't be choosers. Mm. Did any of those kind of come up in your uh, in your childhood? Um. Yeah, I think, like, one month, like, again, like, my mom is so much a saver. Like, she is very good at saving money and very good at meeting uh, financial goals. So I definitely picked that up from her. But my parents definitely, like, I don't know if they, they've definitely never said it, but my I feel like my, my mom especially has this kind of concept of, like, money is a root all evil. Mm-hmm. Like, excessive wealth um, is, like, you're missing something as a person if that's how money, if money makes you happy. 
Um, so she really stressed, like, not that necessarily money is the root of all evil, but, like, money isn't going to make you happy. Yeah. And, like, I think that was kind of more her slogan when we were growing up and still is today, that, like, money isn't going to buy you the things that are most important. Yeah. Which I think is a healthy way to look at money because I think when you constantly think money is going to make you happy, you're constantly chasing it. Um, so, yeah. That's For kind sure. of the takeaway when, when I was growing up, definitely. Yeah. I definitely think that... Um, my mom very much had this mentality of money doesn't buy happiness, mm-hmm. um, which it's still very true, but it does make them, what did you say? That it makes suffering less, uh, less miserable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also my dad definitely had the mentality of like money doesn't grow on trees. And that really tied in with the fact of like, you want it, you work it. Earn it yeah. 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 I feel like our parents probably had very similar like teachings, except mm. I definitely wasn't getting 50 bucks. <laughs> They're like, hey, you yeah. cleaned this. You can get dinner tonight. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I was definitely very privileged um, um, in that respect. And I do, like, I do appreciate I that. I probably felt bad for your feeble little body. Oh, my God, totally. <laughs> You're like, she can't, she'll break. Um, did you ever receive a formal financial education? Um, like, did it take courses on money? Yeah. Um, not when I was younger. My mm-hmm. mom would, like, sit me down and be like, this is how much you have from your job. Because, like I said, I started working when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, let's put this in a term for this amount because it grows this much. Like, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. My mom would explain that to me. Um, but, oh, I think we had, like, business class. But it wasn't, like, personal finances. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, me and you have both started really educating ourselves about it as well. We're meeting with a financial planner that um, I know of. And actually, we are taking a four-week free financial planning course um, that starts next next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, Pacific Standard Time. So, And it runs for four weeks. It's free, um, and it's just a personal finances, like, grow your wealth type of chat. So if anyone does want to go to that, um, hit me up or hit us up at 50 plus a tip and, uh, I will send you the link if you want to get educated. Yeah. That should be good. He's very, very kind. Yeah. He's great. I, um, met him through university. So he worked, he worked at, um, the university I go to. Um, the rest of, uh, Similar theme, so I'm going to rapid fire through the rest of them. Um, were there any unspoken ideas about money that contributed to its miser- mystery or confusion? Did you grow up with a feeling that there was always enough money, sometimes enough money, or never enough money? And did money make your family members happy, sad, or something else? Did everyone in your family have money or only certain people? Were differences due to gender, age, earning power, or some other factor? Did different people in your family teach you different money lessons? Were you expected to have a job when you grew up, or were you taught that other people would support you? And in our, in our culture, time is often equated to money. Was someone's time respected equally in your family? Uh, yeah, so growing up, both of my parents worked. Um, so both of them were bringing in money. And then, shoot, I forgot the first question you, question you asked, asked, about, asked about. Just any underlining ideas that contributed to, like, its mystery or confusion. Oh, no. Were we, were we like, always had enough? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I never, like, 
thank like thank God. Like there was never a moment where like we were worried about yeah. not having a roof over our head or like we definitely were like, you know, upper upper middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, always had like good food, good meals, you know, could eat whatever we wanted that my mom made. You know, we weren't eating like craft dinner every night. Yeah. Um yeah, I definitely we didn't we definitely didn't like go on trips. Like that's something my parents didn't see was worth spending money on. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't buy like fancy cars every year. Uh, we they owned a house. You know they they that was where their focus was. Yeah. was like owning a house, owning a car, putting money into savings. Um, they didn't. You know we never went on trips. I went to a uh, definitely uh, wealthier. I would say wealthy um, high school in that and like middle school and. When we, you know, like post summer, summertime, they're like, oh, would you hear summer? It would literally, the entire class be like, I went to Paris. I went to Disneyland twice. I went to our, you know, house in the south of France. And then I'd be like, I went to Prince George. <laughs> like, you know, to visit family. Yeah. Like, um, so, but yeah, we definitely, my parents worked hard and they definitely like gave us a good life for sure. Yeah, me too. I think, uh, I don't think you really understand until you've grown up, like, we were definitely never like the richest family, but I got to do all the activities like that I wanted to do. I wanted to do horse riding. My mom was like, no, that's too expensive. And I was like, are we poor? (laughs) (laughs) Ew, are you poor? (laughs) No, but like I, I was involved with dancing since I was younger. And then, you know, you start realizing how much actually dance lessons are, dance costumes are. Like I competed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I definitely from like, as you said, like middle class, upper middle class family. Um, we went to like the same campsite beach place every year. We still go there as a family. My mom has been going there since she was like seven. Um, my sister is taking, you know, my niece there now. Like it's such a family place. Yeah. And then every so often we would do like bigger family trips too. Like my mom took us on a cruise once. My dad's family is obviously over here. So we went to Canada a couple times. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely... Thank God also I I never felt like, you know. You're without. Exactly. And yeah. I think that like, yeah, I just definitely appreciate my parents, you know, how much they gave, I think. Oh, definitely. For yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I definitely was like put in dance. I was putting horseback riding lessons. Yeah. Like oh, I was never. <laughs> not for long. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. So no, I definitely, parents definitely like work to provide and like. Yeah gave a very good like cushy life yeah um and I think the last one was like uh was everyone's time valued the same so like my my dad actually for the first like 10 years of my life maybe my mom did side gigs like she taught aerobics and like was an Avon lady and stuff so classic. classic and then my dad was pretty much the sole income like income provider my mom was a stay-at-home mom until my parents split up and um and then my mom went back to university and got a job as a midwife and she's been working ever since Mm. um but you know maybe that's like my mom's parents both passed away and so the inheritance that she got like she pretty much paid off the mortgage for the house so um but yeah I was very thankful to have a stay-at-home mom it's just so impossible now yeah um but yeah, I think that, like, I mean, my mom obviously did a lot of labor and, like, always came, like, you know, child labor, housework, always had dinner ready, everything like that. So I think that, like, time was pretty, pretty, like, time for energy is, it was pretty even. 
Yeah. Like I said, both my parents worked. Mm-hmm. Like my, my grandparents uh, did a lot of raising me when I was younger. My grandpa would drive me to school every morning. Um, then I'd go to their house after school until my parents got off work. Yeah. Um, and then like when they, if they had time after work, they'd come to like my dance recitals and stuff. Like, uh, so yeah, I think like the labor was pretty like evenly placed mm-hmm. between like all parties for sure. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> And so there's, it's some pretty heavy, like, conversation talking about money and stuff and stuff like that. So, obviously, if, like, you guys um, w- like that sort of thing, definitely check out the book. She does go through it um, very kindly and, like, definitely does some, like, you know, stops and checks on how people are feeling because, you know, money is very, a very uncomfortable for, uh, topic for some people to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Okay, am I the asshole? <laughs> So I found three that you have not heard yet. I think yes. you've read these ones. I probably have read them. No. I've okay. read so many. Am I the asshole for calling my girlfriend a hypocrite over strip clubs? One of my friends had decided that he would like to go to a strip club, divorce, and invited me to go along with him. Although not something I'd normally do, I was sufficiently interested that I was willing to tag along. My girlfriend, on the other hand, had asked me not to go. The thing is, she went to a bachelorette party that had a stripper component and I wasn't facing the slightest, nor was she considering she went. I therefore find it pretty hypocritical that she's asked me not to go and called her on it. She said that that was different, that her friend dragged her to one, me going voluntarily was more offensive and was pretty cross at me for a few days. Am I the asshole for calling my girlfriend a hypocrite over strip clubs considering she's gone in the past as well? P.S. This all happened in the past, aka aka before COVID. Edit, my friend was going through a divorce and a few of my friends and I went along with him to cheer him up. Just some clarifying info. Edit two, the bachelor party went to a male strip club. I, we get this a lot. Like every Am I the Asshole that we have read, it's always my friend dragged. I was forced. Like you're a grown ass person. Like, and I'm talking about the girl at this point. Like if you were really uncomfortable, go like not going or going, then like, you're a grown-ass fucking woman. Like, just put your foot down. Like, there's no, she dragged me, he dragged me. Yeah. So your verdict is? Um, is the guy writing an asshole for calling his girlfriend a hypocrite over strip clubs? Not really, to be honest. I don't think so. Like, if, if you were going every Tuesday, then maybe that would be different. But you wanted to, like, make your friend feel better because he's going through a divorce. Like, for me, that's, like, a sort of special event. Same with like going to a bachelor or bachelorette party. Like, I don't know. I think, I feel like those are pretty even personally. My thing, I don't know. He didn't bring this up, but I would bring it up in the conversation. She went to a strip club and then she's telling you, you can't go. What does she do at the strip club that she's so scared mm. of you doing? Do I mean, if anything, if she went to a strip club and like nothing happened, you'd think she'd be more inclined to let her boyfriend go yeah. because she saw it was like, you know, they weren't fucking on the dance floor. Um, so that'd be more like my, like, eyebrow raising of, like, what happened at this strip club that you're so scared of your boyfriend going and doing the same thing you just did? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's not an asshole. I think she's an asshole for going through with the strip club and then saying, but you can't do it. If it was really the way she felt about strip clubs, the minute she stepped in there and found out where they were going, if that's really the case, that she had no clue, 
she could have said, hey, you know what? Like, I'm not comfortable being here. I'll wait for you guys in the car. Or yeah. I'll pe- catch up with you guys after you've done this. Or I'll see you tomorrow. Or she could have called her boyfriend and said, hey, are you comfortable with me being here? This is the, the plan now. Yeah. Or um, just not being an asshole. Like, as I said, you know, like, she went for her friend's bachelorette party. That's sort of a once-in-a-while excuse to go find whatever. If that's something that you guys aren't usually comfortable with. And, like, that's sort of the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, same with, like, if your buddy is getting divorced and what is going to make him feel good is to see some titties like i'm sorry but like it's it's not like you're going every tuesday for like boys night you know like just let your friend be a supportive friend however they want to yeah also like why are you so untrusting of your man yeah okay am i the asshole for going to a strip club after my wife decided not to so my wife 29 female and i 32 female have a rule that we can go to strip clubs but only if we go together I also like them more than her, but she usually enjoys herself when we go. Well, the ones here finally reopened last week, so I made a plan for us to go with some guy friends. And then came the night, and she didn't want to go. She was also kind of crabby. I guess she wasn't feeling well, so I told her she could just stay while me and the guys went. And then she was like, no, we only go to strip clubs together. And I explained that I got the rule, but she had already agreed to. We fought a bit, and in the end, she was like, fine, whatever, go. So I did and had a good time, but I could tell she was upset. Now in the past, one of us has stayed home, if not feeling great, and but the other one still wanted to go out with friends. Not to a strip club, granted, but I don't think it was a rule violation because she already agreed. So was I an asshole? I think no. Like, if you... I would understand if, like, your friends called you up that day and was like, hey, we're going to go to the strip club. Do you want to come? And your girlfriend was like, hey, I don't really want to go. And you still wanted to go. Like, maybe – I mean, it sounds like you had an agreement of, like, what was okay and what was not okay. And you were agreeing to that night is fine to go. And then your girlfriend backs out of it, like, day off. Like, I feel like you should still be able to go, to be honest. Huh. Um, I probably just wouldn't go because at the, I I am very like, you're my partner when I'm in a relationship. And if my partner didn't want me to go somewhere, I just wouldn't go. Like I would just respect that that's how they felt, especially if we had already had the conversation like, Hey, if I don't go, you don't go. If you don't go, I don't go. Just because it happened like day of that person decided not to go and they're feeling sick. I'd be like, okay, we feel sick. We're not going. (laughs) But that's just that's just how I am in relationships. Oh, was it because they weren't feeling well? I thought it was because they were being crabby. No. So, well, it's finally reopened, and the night came, and she didn't want to go. She was also kind of crabby, and I get she wasn't feeling well. So I told her she could just stay while me and the guys went. I don't know. It doesn't really sound like she's sick to me. Oh, okay. It yeah, sounds like she just, like, didn't feel like it. It's like, okay, so now we both have to stay in because, like, you're in a... I don't know, like... It was already a plan. You guys got excited for it. And at the last minute, your, like, your girlfriend was like, no, I don't want to go. And, like, you shouldn't either. I don't know. Yeah, I think like, it's just, like, if something's already been decided in the relationship, hey, when if we don't go together, we don't go. Um, I think it's makes it uncomfortable for your partner to be, like, trying to excuse this time. Being like, hey, but, like, it was the same day. And, like, maybe can we switch that rule we have? And then they go, okay, fine. And they kind of give in. And you're like, okay, great. Like, you've, like pressure them into changing the rule you guys have already placed. If, like, that rule was not there, then I don't think you're an asshole. Yeah. But the fact that you guys have already, like, agreed that we go together. I wish there was more details of, like, why she didn't want to go. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like that would maybe, like, she just doesn't feel like it or, like, she's in, a, like, a crappy mood so she doesn't want to, like, I guess it depends, like, the intention of, like, why you don't want to go anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's more so, like, if there's already been, like, an understanding in the relationship for you then to try to, like, go back on that because it, like, suits you, I think that would bother me. If me and my partner had already agreed to, we don't do this. Mm. And now you're like, well, can I just do it this time? Please, please, please. And you're like, fine. And then you're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm undecided. I wish I had more information. You could be an asshole. You may not be. Yeah. <laughs> we I, don't yeah. know. I do understand the rule thing and, like, but, Yeah. The fact that she was, like, gung-ho about it and then changed her mind. Like, I want to know more about that. Yeah. We have questions. Okay. Am I the asshole for going to a strip club with my married brothers? Long story short. My father invited us over for some drinks. He is having surgery, and he wanted to spend the weekend before with his kids. Me and my two older brothers drank quite a bit and decided to go to the strip club. I am single. Both older brothers are married. My older brother, brother one, turned off his phone that, so that his wife couldn't track his location. At the club, I told my brother, brother number one, that his wife was calling me and that we should leave. He said to ignore it, which I did. For that, maybe I am an asshole. Brother two just called me and said that the S-I-L, sister-in-law, sister-in-law. cursed him out and that she is mad at both of us for what, in quotes, we did to her marriage. I understand that she needs to vent and is angry, but I feel that she should take that up with her husband. I feel a bit conflicted. On the one hand, I feel this was nothing to do with me, and I shouldn't have to take responsibility for my brother's actions. And on the other hand, wish I had practiced better judgment and persuaded him not to go. Anyways, am I the asshole? And if so, do I owe an apology? I don't think you're the asshole. Like, it was your brother's idea to turn off his phone so that his wife couldn't contact him contact him. him and like you you know you said you know like we should leave your wife is uncomfortable with this like at what point like is it like I, I just don't think it's your business yeah I think maybe throw out an apology to her that you ignored her calls because then it's just you're just giving someone anxiety and like especially if you have a relationship with her and she considers you a friend um but I also think it's in, it's inappropriate to them to put you in the middle of that yeah no I agree so I, I would I would apologize to her that you know you you added to her anxiety that night by ignoring her calls yeah I think so too but I think that she also needs to apologize to you for blaming like, blaming you guys for a problem that is clearly between the husband and the wife. Like, I think that maybe both of you guys misstepped a little bit. Um, But I don't think that you're the asshole for going to the strip club with your brothers. Yeah. No, I think it's, like, separate separate issues for sure. Um, But also, like, what a horrible partner he is. Yeah. For, like... Even call, turning about turning that. off his phone. <laughs> like I'm sorry, but like I feel like if my partner was like 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 um, if my partner said that he was going to a strip club and he was going with his literal siblings, that would make me feel better than him going with friends. You know, like how much fucking shit are you going to get up to in front of your in front of your family? Like, huh. do, 
I don't know. I don't know. Some families are pretty fucked up. True. But you know what I mean? Like, if so, if they were like, oh, yeah, no, like, we just went out after having some drinks to get more drinks, it'd be like, okay, that's fine. Like, I don't know. I've seen some weird shit in this strip club. Though. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think me, he's the asshole for turning his phone off. Of course. The, the <laughs> husband's a fucking goof, for sure. Throw that man out. Maybe date one of the brothers. They're both married. <laughs> no, the one's single. The one that oh. screened her phone call is single. Date, date brother number three, oh, who's not single. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We were going to get to listener questions, but Again. as usual, we talked way too much. So no listener questions for you. Um, yeah, that's pretty much going to be it for this episode because we had too much shit to run through. Yeah. So that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you want to... Do that finance class or, or learn more information. Message uh, us on 50 plus a tip. I will try and send you the link. Um, definitely read Lola Davina's book. I absolutely suggest her first book, Thriving in Sex Work as well. Both of them are available on Audible. Um, and you can get them on her website. Uh, I believe it's loladavina.com or Amazon. Um, go support her. She is really fabulous and her books are such a, a great, um, addition to, you know, the sex work books, um, out there. Her voice is incredible. If you just feel like being validated in the work that you do, I completely suggest, um, getting them on Audible and have her read her book to you. Yeah. And go listen or read I Hate Men. I also found that super therapeutic and relatable, a really, really good read. I also recommend male presenting people to read it as well because it really opens your eyes to how uh, how much the patriarchy really impacts everyone in mm-hmm. society. So definitely check that out. Also, next week, episode 95, we have comedian, author, and Australian sex worker Bella Green on. So if you guys have the chance, we highly recommend you reading her book, Happy Endings by Bella Green. And then you guys can hear us interview her next week. And it's a great read. And she was a great person to have on. We really, really enjoyed our conversations with her. So you Mm -hmm. guys have that to look forward to next week. Again, it's available on Audible. This is another one that I would strongly suggest um, getting and because she reads it. And so you get all these inflictions and yeah, it's just absolutely fabulous on Audible. Definitely. Riley, where can people find you? You can find me at underscore Riley Divine on Instagram. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at 50plusatip or email at 50plusatip at gmail.com. Slide the DMs. Let us know if there are any people you want us to interview or discussions you want us to go over, any books or shows you want us to review. Just let us know what you want and we will provide. (laughs) Also, please rate, review, and subscribe. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all other podcast platforms. Yes, rate and review for sure. We love reading those. And subscribe. Yeah, and subscribe and follow whatever else you do. But definitely (laughs) rate and review because I like reading the low reviews. (laughs) Very validating. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful week. And happy whoring. Bye. Bye.